0: Well, if you have your Bible with you, um, grab grab it and turn to uh, Luke chapter three. We're going to be right at the top of that long genealogy. Now, before we get started, I just want to get you to kind of kind of put your finger there. Um, so, uh, I wanted I, I wanted to start start our time this morning uh, with um, kind of a, a sum of, kind of a, as an ooh, hello, as an apology uh, from. A, set, a portion last week uh, of my, of my sermon, um, I got into a position politically where I feel like I started going into more of my personal opinion that this was not the right place for uh, the pulpit is a place for the preaching of the gospel, not for preaching my opinion on specifics in, in, uh, in, uh, in politics. Um, and so I, I was, I, going in a certain direction, but I think I just, I, I took it too far. And I do want to apologize for that if, if, uh, if I had offended you. Um, and uh, I, I, want, I do want to, to thank those of you who did come come to me and, and approach me about that. Um, I, I do wanna thank you for doing that because I've been able to process that this week and go back and watch it a few times. Um, and I do, I'm, I'm open to have more conversations. Like if we were not able to have a conversation, Um, I would love to have a conversation, and you'd like to have a conversation with me about it. Uh, Last week's uh, message, I'd love to to sit down and talk with you over coffee about that. Um, Because we've tried to do, I've I've tried so hard to make this a place where we are operating by our conscience, where each person is free to come in on any spectrum politically, you know, from Libertarian to Democrat to Republican to whatever, you know, and whomever you voted for, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but that we can come together and operate and live by our conscience. And I don't think, I I think I'd stepped over that line um, to where I was trying to make you abide by my conscience in certain areas. And so it was not the right place. And so the gospel, the pulpit is a place for gospel focus. Um, And if I can remind myself of what my dad has told me year after year, after year, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. So um, with that in mind, um, I did want to kind of bring you into that process that I've had this week of processing through these things because when processing something as uh, <clears throat> as broad and very emotionally driven, um, oftentimes we can sometimes feel lost and confused when we forget the main thing. When we forget to keep, you know, that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Um, <clears throat> and... You know, I seek to to live a, a, a godly life, you know, by the Spirit. Uh, so this week I've been having a lot of, con- you know, contemplative time with God. Um, contemplative time in His presence and seeking Him, seeking His face. Seeking, what do I truly believe? Like, really, what do I believe about the gospel? What do I believe about my faith? What do I think about politics? What do I, what do I think about being an American citizen? And so I do want to kind of shore up a little bit um, that... Um, I don't want to, I don't want to believe this too long. If you want to go back and read and, and watch, i actually spent about a half an hour uh, talking about kind of more where, where I feel like God is, is that is saying, this is the the balance with with politics and faith, like the kingdom of God and the nation of, of America um, and what my heart, where my heart was with that. But specifically, I am very frustrated um, with what's going on in our country overall, not with any you know, one specific side. Like I'm just, Kind of done with it all. Um, I'm I've got crisis fatigue from COVID, and just to put, put that out there. Like I'm just fatigued. I'm tired. I'm frustrated, um, and I think that came out in my sermon last week. Uh, but I believe that that uh, the goal, the heart behind it, is that I'm I'm uh, I hurt for our country, and so I think hurt by you know for our country kind of can come out as frustration and so I think you know comparing it to Israel in the sense that you know I'm frustrated by what's going on with our name, with, you know, Um but that ought to drive me to pray more fervently for it and so instead of going and, and, and I don't want anyone to see you know to hear or think that I was calling us to renounce our nationality or our citizenship as Americans or to denounce like almost to curse our country or your allegiance to it, please don't hear me saying that. I say I'm, I'm almost, basically, I'm in mourning for our country, and so I'm calling us to pray for our country more fervently than ever. Um, and so, and understanding that our first and, and strongest allegiance is to Christ. And I love how, uh, so Josh sent me this text message. I, I expect to see that tattoo. Uh, Pro-God, pro-family, pro-country. So we're always for People, we're always for our nation. We're always for those people around us, especially our family, especially our church family, and especially the church, the kingdom of God. Especially, we're never anti-country. We're never anti-nationalism, uh, anti-nation. I would say, um, but um, does that does that make sense? I don't want to, I don't want to belabor this too too long um, because I want to get into the gospel. Uh, but I did want to kind of come back, and so you can hear my heart. Um, with 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 that last year, uh, last week, and, and where I'm at this week, and so I do want to apologize if I had offended you, and would love to have more conversations with you if you if you feel like we we can. So part of part of um, the you know con- contemplation this week uh, led me to focus on our passage today, and <clears throat> and uh, thinking about where a lot of this this uh, my perception of a lot of of the world comes from, and we all have it. We all have a perception of reality that comes from somewhere, comes from something. And um, so we're asking ourselves these, these certain questions like, who am I? You know, the great question. Well, I guess second only to, do I really exist? Is this really real? <laughs> Existentialism, like, you know, going back, and, you know, going to some coffee shop over. You know. But you know, who am I? Who, who am I really like? What is my identity? What is my personality? Who, who am I? What am I like to be around? You know, spouses, this is a great question to ask your spouse. You know, ask your, like, what is it like to live with me? Like, I have no idea what it's like to live with me. You know. Um, where did I come from? What are my origins? Like, what's if you were to write a book, like, what is my origin story? What, what story would you write? You know, and another question, great question, is, like, where am I going? And, and what or, or who am I becoming? Always having a, a, a finger on, on that, uh, or you know, having a thumb or a finger on gauging, okay, where am I going? Like, what does this life and its future look like for me and my family? Being intentional about doing or accomplishing certain things. Now, this is one of the coolest things. I, I love having conversations with people about this. Um, even even like just for like five minutes to even an hour in an Uber drive when, I'm, when I've been driving for Uber. Of course, it's been, gosh, close to a year since I did, did my last Uber drive. But I used to love it. You're just sitting in the car for just a few minutes or, you know, for a big sky run down to big sky, not just because it was about $100 each way, but, you know, it's great. But the fact that I got to spend longer time and, and hearing people's stories, like, where are you from? Where are you, why are you here? You know, what brings you to Montana? Do you like it here? You know, just learning about their stories and, and hearing about what's going on with people's lives, hearing about where they come from, who they are, where they think that their life is, is going or, or heading. What is the vision that they've got for their life? Um, and this, this, this ties into the way that we perceive life. And this is what was going to introduce our, our time together. This is what my sermon's about this morning. Your legacy. Informs your identity, which God uses to empower your destiny. Um, and so I, w- I do want to unpack that word just real quick, just because it is kind of a buzzword, the word destiny, like all oh, the destiny, like fatalism. I'm not talking about fatalism, so I'm just simply talking about if you're like if you keep you know making the same your know, daily decisions coupled with the same you know, defining decisions, you'll end up somewhere, and this is your destiny. Like your know, destiny is basically the 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 end end point of your life decisions so that's what i mean by destiny not like you know, this fatalism like oh it's my destiny well of course if you don't change your life of course it's gonna be your destiny so this is your legacy where you've come from informs your identity who you are which god uses to empower your destiny which we'll get to that in a little bit and i keep forgetting so this time we'll remember it. everyone we'd love to inv- invite you to stand up as we honor the reading of God's word here this morning. So again, uh, Luke chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 23. And bear with me, I I tried to practice these names. We'll try to make it through them. So, as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Methot, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jana, son of Yosef, Son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nehu, son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Maath, son of Mattathias, son of son of Semin, son of Yosek, son of Yoda. I love it. Son of Yoda. Son of So, because J doesn't have a, there's no J in Hebrew, so it's pronounced Yoda. Yonan. Son of Resha, son of Zerubbabel, son of Sheel tiel son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adai, son of Kosam, son of Elmadam, son of Ur, son of Yashua, son of Eliezer, son of Yoram, son of Mathot, son of Levi, son of Sin. Hopefully it's still working. Son of Minna, son of Matha, Matatha, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Amminadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Reu, son of Peleg, son of Eber. Son of Shela, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalalel, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days to be tempted by the devil. God, we thank you for your word here this morning, and we pray that you would open it up to us, open up to our eyes, to our spirit, open it up to experience you this morning and what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Give me just one second. <coughs> Sorry, we've had so many technical issues <laughs> throughout the day. I thought I did everything to block calls. Apparently not. <laughs> so I just want to make sure it was still streaming because we have quite a few people that are watching online here this morning too. So I want to make sure that everyone was able to join us here today. So <clears throat> I didn't want to start out just with a few things. <clears throat> so right at the beginning, um, as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old. Now, 30 years old, and why, why is that significant? So that he includes that for a reason, not just for a timeline. As we know, Luke was very hardcore about timelines. You want to make sure that you knew exactly where Jesus was born, exactly what was going on, and that you could actually place these time, these, these happenings into real time. So he actually can trace down to the day where we know that Jesus was probably born um, as well, which is not December. Um, but that's another, that's another sermon. <clears throat> but so 30 years old, why is that significant? Because 30 years old is when Jesus started his ministry. 30 to the, to the you know, n- numerical with Hebrew, because numbers are very, very uh, significant in, in Hebrew, um, theology. Numbers represent things. Uh, so 30 represents the age of maturity. 30 was when priests, would start their priestly duties. They could not start and actually serve in the temple until they were 30 years of age. Um, and so David, you know, himself, King David, which if you read down here, uh, he, Jesus is in the lineage of King David, which we'll get to in a minute. King David. And David started his kingly reign at the age of 30. He was anointed with the Spirit at four, age 14 and then took, took his rightful place as the king of Israel in, uh, in, when he was 30 years old. <clears throat> and that's, uh, we, we can see that in 2 Samuel. David was 30 years old when he began his reign, and reigned for 40 years. Now, the question, why the genealogy? So Matthew actually starts his, his gospel with the genealogy uh, as a way to kind of just set this forth. Like This is the lineage of Jesus. But Luke waits until after the childhood accounts, childhood narratives, to start it. Um, and so this is basically, you know, as we talked about last week, Jesus' inauguration with his baptism. Jesus is being inaugurated for his mission, which is to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And so a genealogy uh, for the Hebrew mind actually shows validity. It shows, A, that Jesus was fully human, that he wasn't just like this random guy that appeared out of nowhere. Uh, like some angel that no one knows where he came from, that he he, he places them into the lineage of so many people. He's fully human. Jesus is also in the kingly line of King David, which we'll get to in a second here. And so therefore, Jesus is worthy to rule Israel because he's in the kingly lineage of a king, of the king. King David was the king to the Hebrew mind. And still is today. King David is referred back to as the ultimate leader in, in, the, in the Jewish people in Israel. Uh, because Luke's genealogy authenticates Jesus' right not just to be King, but to be the Messiah. In fact, I mean look at look Luke look, look at Luke 1 through 3. Look at all the things that happened. If you have your Bible, just you know, scan back, just go back and, and remember all, all the you know the, these last. Three months, it's not very long of the pages. We've covered quite a bit in the last few months. But look at all these different things. Everything is leading up to this point. This is to pinpoint Jesus's identity. Every single story is to pinpoint who Jesus is. The only one talking about Zachariah and his son, John, everything's pointing to Jesus and the mission that John had to point to Jesus. Simeon and Anna pointing to Jesus. Everything, the baptism, the baptism of John, um, you know, the repentance, baptism of repentance, pointed to Jesus' ultimate baptism. And Jesus' baptism pointing to his mission, which is pointing, of course, back to himself and his mission on this earth. We look at you know, like these different things. You know, John is Elijah, the virgin birth, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. Bethlehem, he's from the city of Bethlehem. Uh, which, which is where the king, you know, the rightful ruler of, of Israel was supposed to come from, which was Bethlehem. Um, spirit is on him. Uh, again, going back to Messiah, this is the anointing of the Messiah, the, the initiation of God's kingdom, the voice from heaven that this is the son of God, this is the son of man. You know, and then now we get the genealogy. And this is pinpointing his authority and right to rule all. Of God's people, those who are Jewish and those who are not; those who are what were what they called back two thousand years ago, God-fearers. There were there were Gentiles who proselytized, who converted to become Jewish, you know, gospel uh, followers of the, the God of Israel. <clears throat> because genealogies show a person's legacy, identity, and ultimately their destiny where they're going to end up what is going to become of this person um, and so that word legacy let's let's take a look at, at that with with Jesus you know that legacy not just talking about like where he you know where we where we've come from you know talking about the genealogy this is everyone who's come before Jesus this is the legacy that he comes from this is the family now, back in junior high, I got to do a great project all about my family legacy, and we found out that we were German-Dutch. And so it was kind of the, okay, these people didn't really like each other, but I'm from both. And so you know, going back and figure out which one to do a history on, so I chose the German route. And so I just, because it was more fun, because I thought it'd be fun to bring a beer into my, into my parents' home to make beer bread, because uh, it was part of my legacy, because we had to make something like a food-wise from our legacy. So I was like, hey, I'm gonna get my dad to buy a beer. You know? Born, being born, raised Southern Baptist, like that was, you know, you didn't drink, smoke, or chew or date girls that did, you know. And so, um, and so I learned more about my family legacy. I learned that we're related to Davy Crockett. I was like, oh, cool, the guy that died in Alamo and wore the raccoon hat. Cool. You know, I learned that we were all the way, I bet I'm royalty. You know that? Your, Your pastor is royalty. I'm from, I'm a direct line of, The greatest evangelist, king of all kings in the world, King Charlemagne. if you remember your history, yeah, he was successful because he would say, you know, he would evangelize at the tip of a sword, convert or die. And so I was like, yeah, oh, darn it. (laughs) That's not the way to evangelize, by the way. Um, now, oftentimes, this can, this can sometimes become a weapon for some people. But we don't evangelize at the tip of a sword. But we, so we learn about our, our history. We think back. You know, it's a big thing nowadays. You can you know, even swab your, your, your mouth and then send it off to a cool lab, and they'll send you back you know, different people, you know, different uh, ethnicities, and, and different things in your genes, right? Uh, what is it called? 23andMe or something like that? You know, ancestry.com, you can do the same thing. Trace your relatives way back. We even, you know, my aunt bought us like this family tree thing. So if you haven't done it, it'd be really intriguing for you to go back and, and find out more of your family history. And you'll learn a lot of things. You'll learn about a lot of maybe, you know, where certain elements of your personality came from, certain part, you know parts of your, your heart and your passion. Like for, for the reason, you know, for instance, like why I'm so passionate about music. I love music. I'm like, oh, I want a worship pastor so bad, you know. I worship you so bad, and realizing, well, I've got relatives on my father's side that go all the way back to playing in the in the marching band in the Civil War, and my grandf- and then my great great grandfather was a band director, and then my great grandfather was a band director, and my grandfather was a band director, and then my dad broke the cycle and became a pastor. <laughs> and so now I'm in that line going to the pastor. But we have such a musical, you know, DNA in our family, and I love it. Think, about those, you know, think back to those things. Your legacy is not just where you've been, but also what is the legacy that you're leaving as well in front of you that's with you right now? Like sitting next to you in the, in, in the chairs right now, your legacy that, is, that you will leave. Like I even was writing a post on my Facebook this morning and, and had the, the realization, again, I'm the last felt in my family life. My, my dad's brother, who would also be a Feltz, had three girls. And then my dad's sister had two boys. She was the one who had the boys, but they're Ricks. And so I'm the last Feltz. Well, now Jackson is the last Feltz in, the, in our line. And so we're perpetuating the Feltz line of our family, leaving a legacy. And we will define what our family name is defined as you will leave a legacy of what your family's name means in this world. Your identity, who are you, and your destiny. And essentially, if you look at, at all these different things about Jesus, let's look at Jesus through this perspective. Of what, what is this genealogy and this, this text, you know, talking about? You know, first, what is Jesus' legacy? Well, he is most powerfully in the house of David, the legacy of King David, he's got an amazing legacy. If you look you know, throughout the stories of the, of this, you even see like these powerful names. Um, like you've got Jesse and Obed, Boaz, and Salmon. And Salmon, I believe is the one. Salmon is the one that married Rahab, the prostitute who helped, you know, who led it, who hid the spies in Jericho before it was destroyed. Rahab is in Jesus's line. And then he got uh, Boaz. And of course, Boaz, who did he marry? Ruth. There's a book in the Bible after her. And then we've got King David, the house of David. He's got an, a, an amazing legacy of redemption in his, in his family. Identity. He is, as the father proclaimed from heaven, the beloved son. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. And he's also, he got a destiny. And what is Jesus' destiny? Is to be the suffering servant. He is ultimately to be the sacrificial lamb that is slaughtered for the forgiveness of all. For anyone who would proclaim faith and profess faith in Jesus Christ and pledge allegiance and faithfulness to him, they will become a part of his beloved family, become brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. You lose everything. You lose your life. You lay down your life for the cause of the gospel and in exchange God gives you everything. God gives you everything that actually matters in life and joy. Because unless you lose your life for his sake, you won't gain it. You, you, you try to keep preserving your life you try to keep your your life in, the, in you know tightly in your hand trying to keep yourself safe from all things, you try to you know, make sure that you're ruling your life, that you have got control over, over, over your life, over your kids, over your circumstances, and you're going to lose it. You cannot control your circumstances. You cannot control your environment. You cannot control how other people will respond around you. You cannot even control your own life, no matter how hard you try. Unless you lose your life, you'll never gain it. And that's what the call of the gospel is, to believe in the suffering servant, to believe in the the beloved son, to believe in the, the, the heir of the rule and authority of David, King David, in your life, to believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross as a suffering servant to cover all of your sin, all of your shame, to free you completely from all these things that hold you back. That keep you striving all the time to control your life and your circumstances. I just want to be happy. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be joyful, filled with life, filled with abundant life. He says John 10:10. 10, 10. He desires your life to be flourishing. He doesn't desire you just like you know live by these, you know, these sets of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, and you should feel bad, and you should feel bad. It seems like religion is always trying to make you feel bad. That's not the gospel. The gospel is joy. The gospel is freedom. The gospel is abundant life, thriving and flourishing in your family and your friends, in the people of God, in in a community of people that love one another. And this is what we've been pursuing here for the last year and a half, is learning how to love one another, learning how to care for one another learning how to, to sacrifice and to give up our lives for one another and ultimately for God's glory so that he can pour out his joy, pour out his spirit upon all of us, each one of us, as we, as we actively minister, which we'll get to here in a little bit. And oftentimes I want to I kind of focus in on, on we're going to get to kind of more personal on this, but destiny. Destiny. Seeing where where are we wanting to end up? Right? And people, people go to you know, you know, tarot cards. I get emails about this all the time. You get those, those emails, right? Check your, your tarot cards today. Come in for a deployment to find out your future. Do you are you gonna be wealthy? Or are you gonna be rich? Are you gonna die next week? Ah. We get all these different, you know, these, these psychics, right? They're trying to tell us our destiny. Your destiny, your fate. You're trying to read the tea leaves. And oftentimes we can forget that you make your destiny. Your daily decisions, your, your big decisions, your life changing decisions, your monumental decisions coupled with daily decisions lead you to a certain destiny. And if, you're, if your life decisions are leading you down a, a road that's actually worse worse off for you, you're not going in a good direction. If you keep wondering, gosh, why do these things keep happening? Why do I feel like my life is just like spinning and not like really going anywhere? Why do I just feel like I'm doing the same things day in and day out? Why do I keep having the same conversations? Why do I keep feeling I'm having the same arguments with the same people? Why do I feel like I have the same desire to just delete all social media and doing everything in our lives just to try to try to find something new and life-giving, breathing life into our lives? Am I the only one that struggles with that? I guess. So, I guess so. Can I get an amen from anyone who's also struggling with that? Amen, amen right? I guess I'm alone up here. <laughs> But oftentimes we, we have this, this fear, There's this fear that, well, if I, if I change direction, I won't be in as good a place as I am today because I'll have to start all over again. And I had a great conversation with a friend of mine uh, this week, um, which I'm hoping you guys will be able to meet her one day. But uh, so she, she let me know about this, um, hold on, about this phrase I put it in the wrong place. So this cost sunk fallacy. I thought that this was like mind blowing. I started reading reading about this thing. It's awesome. Um, So I just wanna read you a quote from an article that I just read about it this morning I thought would be super helpful for us to, to get an understanding. The cost sunk fallacy. The cost sunk effect is the general tendency for people to continue an endeavor or continue consuming or pursuing an option if they've invested time or money or some resource in it. That effect becomes a fallacy if it's pushing you to do things that are making you unhappy or worse off. And the word from my friend Kim is also the word for you. It's never too late to shift trajectory in your life. It doesn't matter how deep, it doesn't matter how long, it doesn't matter how old you are, it is never too late to shift your trajectory from, the past, from what you've done in the past. You could build a great career and you hate it. It's not too late to change. It's never too late to change. The most inspiring people that I ever met in college and seminary were the people that got to their 50s and 60s and were like, I hate my, my dumb job. I want to go and do something else. And so they came, they came to college and got an entirely new degree so that they could do ministry or do something else. They inspired me because it made me remember that it's never too late for any of us to shift direction. Never, it's never too late. Like I'm done doing this or they are doing that. It's like the same thing over and over again, every single day, it's so repetitive. I hate it, I'm so frustrated. I get home at the end of the day and I just wanna just curl up and not go anywhere, not to talk to anyone. Just lose myself in whatever else I want to do that day because I'm just, I just want to, I don't even know what to do anymore. I'm just trying to live my life. Is it making you worse off? If it's pushing you to do things that are making you unhappy or worse off, then it's time for a shift. Don't just try to push through it because you'll be worse off. And remember, your legacy is at stake. And so what are you going to be teaching your family and beyond you, not just your kids, but your grandkids, if you stick with the same job that you hate and you teach them to just simply stick with what they hate? Yes, teach them to have a wonderful work ethic. Teach them to be committed. Teach them to be devoted. But if their life is getting worse and your family's life is getting worse because of it, that's not teaching them anything anything positive. Make sure that God is able to be God that flourishes your family. Allow God to flourish your family. And if your job is keeping you back from that, maybe it's time for a new job. If your job is keeping you away from the family of God, maybe it's time for a new job. Maybe one that may, you might have to take a pay cut. But if it makes you and your family flourish, maybe it's time. Because it's all about flourishing in this life. Not just simply being, you know being happy. As, you know some, I'm, not, I'm not just saying like you know oh, you talk all about you being happy no if it's actually hindering god flourishing you your legacy your identity and your destiny for his kingdom if god's not able to glorify himself through your life because of your lifestyle maybe it's time for a shift so that you your life and your family and your legacy can glorify god that's the ultimate purpose that's the ultimate purpose Because your family cannot glorify God if all they see from you is frustration and exhaustion and busyness. If your family never sees you, how can you ever leave, feel like you can leave a glorifying legacy behind you? I'm saying this to be encouraging. I don't. Want, I don't want this to be like a smashing down. you. Know, I'm saying encourage. It's never too late. You can. You know, make a new start. You can make a new jump into a new trajectory that will glorify God and flourish your family. It's an opportunity that God is inviting you into. It's an invitation from him. Oh, let me go back to this slide back here. Okay. So let's look at life application here. Like, What does this look like for us? What is this looking like in our, in our lives? So maybe this would be a great uh, challenge for us to, to go and spend some time. Take a day. And if you have your, your notes here, if you've got your note sheets or, or anything, like, write these questions down, or I can even send these, these to you later if you, if, you want to, if you want me to. Ask yourself these questions. Go and spend some time away from everything. If you have to go, go retreat, there's a great camp I can get you hooked up to out of Temple Hills. You know, Go out and retreat out in the middle of nowhere, and just sit and, and ask these questions. like, Where did I come from? You know, who or what do I leave behind? You know, if you were to die today, what would your legacy look like behind you today? Where did I come from? What is my history? <clears throat> um, identity. Who am I? Who am I? Now, I love this. This, uh, <clears throat> this, this is a thing that, as far as I know, my dad, my dad created called shape. And this is great. This is part of his legacy that he's left behind for me. So shape is spiritual gifts or manifestations through you, your heart, your abilities or ability, your personality and your experience. And I've always wanted to like go back and just do like this whole sermon series just on this, but I haven't yet gotten the time yet to. And so, I mean, this is a great way to really delve into who am I? What is my shape for life? What is my shape for ministry? And that question, the big question, you why do I exist? What's my purpose, God? He keeps saying, for I know the, per- the plans that I have for you. I know I made you with a purpose. God, what is it? What is, what is my purpose, God? What is the, the, the purpose that you want me to live to glorify you? What is my purpose? Why do I exist? What is the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the cause or the, the purpose of the reason that ignites you to get out of bed in the morning, that excites you? And there's a great, there's a couple great tools for this. I mean, there there's the the two books I've been talking about a lot. So the the any about the Enneagram. Um, So one book is called The Road Back to You. The other book is called The Road Back to uh, or the Path Between Us, which is the relational version of it, how you relate to others. But there's another one that I just bought that I just just started called The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. Now this is how to understand yourself so that you can grow in your faith and grow in your relationship with God. And maybe experience those breakthroughs and some of those areas where you're like, man, I just feel like I can't break through and I don't know why. I don't know why I just don't enjoy praying. I don't know why I just can't feel like I, you know, just can't sit there and pray for a while, but without falling asleep or getting distracted or reading my Bible and understanding it, like breaking through these things for your spiritual formation. So forming your faith. Um, And then ultimately your destiny. What do I do? With the time that I have to live on this earth, no matter how old you are, this question is still relevant. Because one of the great, you know, great stories that I, that I that I read with John Piper, he talked to this man who was you know on his deathbed. He was like in his in 80s or so or 90s, lived this whole long life, kept saying, "Oh, yeah, I'll just wait till the, the time when I you know get old to to receive Christ on my on my on my death." But I've got plenty of time to do that religion thing and the guy received Christ. He, I mean, genuinely, like he, you know, John Piper was sharing with him, or he was sharing the story, and the guy received Christ. But it, it wasn't just like, the, oh yeah, he just accepted Christ at the end of his life. He, The way that he was living it, and sharing the story, and sharing the gospel with this, this gentleman, this guy got it. And he could see the transformation of, of God's Holy Spirit with him that day, like then and there. And they baptized him. They, they like found a tub, and they like, Filled it all up and in the middle of the courtyard of the hospital, they baptized this gentleman. And the next day the pastor came to check on his friend. And the old and the old old dying man in his bed was just in tears. Completely broken. And the pastor was like, Oh, you just received Christ. What, what's going on? What, what's going on right now? He's like, man. I now know the, the goodness and the glory and the joy of this faith that you've been talking to me about for years. And I look back at my life and like I, I wasted it. I wasted it. I could have done so much more. I could have enjoyed life so much more. I could have enjoyed what God had given. I could have seen my family come to know this faith that I now have. I wasted it. I wasted so much time. If I could go back, I would do these things different. So the question is for you. Wrestle with this question. What do I do with the time that I have to live on this earth? What do I have? What what do I do with the time that I have left? That's kind of the, the basis of the question that we're getting to this morning. because you know, I was writing this morning on my Facebook about funerals. And, you know, the, the, phrase goes, you know uh, <clears throat> the phrase goes, you know, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And just like I always like to say, there's no such thing as an atheist at a funeral. Because funerals have a way of reminding us of our own mortality and making us consider, wow, what, what's beyond this? What's after this? What's, what is, where is that person? Where am I going? What's going to happen to me when I die? Is there really something that's out there? Is this just it? Is this all there is? I guarantee you, it, this is what this book is all about. That's what the faith is all about. The gospel that was proclaimed in the New Testament wasn't, you know, it, it, it didn't get to the place of controversy or power with the cross. I mean, everyone dies. But what happened, the gospel that made this gospel of Jesus Christ so different, so powerful, so angering, confusing to their audience, but also the most life-giving and empowering and life-giving and joyful was the resurrection, which is what this entire Bible is all about. It begins and it ends with us in the presence of God. Every single one of us will stand before him. Every single one of us will stand before him and give an account to whether we believed or we didn't. And this is supposed to be life-giving because God's invitation is you know, John 3:16, like we talked about last week. God, the Father, sent his only beloved Son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish. But have eternal life, not just longevity, but quality, eternal quality of life here and later. That is the gospel. So if you believe that, you proclaim your faith in it, you will be forgiven of all your sins because of the blood of the cross and resurrected with Christ when you die. As Jesus even said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Every person who believes in me will live, even if even when he dies, will live eternally with me in my kingdom. That's the gospel. If you believe that gospel, you will spend eternity with him. And your life today will be transformed. But also remember that walking by the Spirit doesn't always lead to comfort and ease. Sometimes life gets even more stressful, more difficult because claiming faith in Christ in a hostile world who's hostile against Christianity can sometimes make it more difficult. But here's the coolest part. Even in the midst of persecutions and oppressions, it's still more life-giving than the life without Christ. That's why people across this world are dying today for their faith. They would rather die with their faith than live without it because it's that joyful. Joyful. There are Christians today, meeting in, in churches, the largest church movement, the church growth movement in all the world, in China, where every week they have to they have to decide on a new time, on a new location, and a new day. So that the so that the Chinese government cameras that have all these like facial recognition don't don't pick up on what's going on, don't pick up on the trend. They're meaning across China in homes worshiping and loving Jesus. And I love this beautiful video where they grab a Bible, they open up this box full of Bibles. They're like going crazy and talking and celebrating, like, oh my God. And they open the box and it just goes silent. And everyone has their Bible. Everyone grabs and holds the word of God. And they're just sitting there in their chairs, weeping, weeping. Because they've had like a little you know fragment that they ripped out of a Bible that some missionary brought them because they all had to share it. So they have to rip pages off now they've got their own. And they're quiet, but they're weeping because there's so much joy in having the word of God in their hands. Oftentimes, our faith in Jesus leads us to circumstances for us to be proven, tested, strengthened, but then redeemed. And here's where I I really want to focus on the... If you remember nothing else from from our time this morning, remember this. Jesus wants to use his story, history, his story, to redeem your story for his glory. Redemption. I love this word. Redemption, buying or paying off or clearing by payment. The cross clears your debt when you place your faith in him. The blood of the cross pays for your spirit and your soul to save you from the enemy. He purchases you. He bought you with his blood. He bought you at a price. God's more interested in how in who you're becoming than what you accomplish. He wants you. He came to buy you, not what you do, not what you produce. He wants you. He wants all of you, your life, your your dreams, your fears, your your joys, your anxieties, your loneliness, your frustrations, your allegiance, your worries, your questions, your doubts. He wants it all. He wants all of you. And in exchange, he's he giving him all of him to you. God wants you so He can redeem you and flourish you and your legacy, your identity, and flourish your destiny. Why? Why, why would God want to do that? Like I don't, I don't understand what? That makes no sense to me. Why would God even want that? I know me. I, I'm not that special. Have you seen me behind closed doors? It's, it's this, why? Why, God? And Jesus, you know, God even says it, for his glory and our joy. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now, and forever. He wants his glory and your joy. And how he does that is by redeeming you, by loving you, by saving you, and by lifting you up, pouring himself into you. And what does he do when he does that? What's the purpose? We all have a ministry. I'm not the one sole minister at this church. I'm a minister among ministers. You all have a ministry. Each person in this church has a ministry. You have a ministry of some sort, and your job is to figure out what it is. Figure out what does God want to do in my life? How does God want to use me in this world? What is my destiny for his people? What is my destiny for this world? What does God want to do to bring himself glory and me and my family, my legacy, joy? Because that's what we talk about in our in our constitution. Even we just we just passed the what a couple weeks ago, that every member is a minister. It's right there in the bylaws. That is the culture which we're we're doing here in this church. I'm not the one doing all the ministry. I am, am, am equipping you, the saints, the holy ones of God, to do the work of ministry, to build up the church in love. Um, and oftentimes your ministry, what God is. God wants to do with you is closely tied uh, to your life, closely tied to your, as it says, shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. It's often closely tied to that. So prayerfully consider what is your ministry? What is God calling you to do to build up this church in love, build up the body in love? Because every single one of us is a minister. Because. Your legacy informs your identity, which God then therefore uses to empower your destiny. So as we get into this, uh, I wanted to, there was another section, but I'm not going to go into it. But basically, so next week, we're going to see more of what this looks like in um, in the de- in the wilderness with the temptation of Jesus. Because we see three specific temptations that go right into his identity god's you know jesus legacy jesus identity and jesus's destiny Uh, and satan tries to tempt him in each one and to lure him away from his rightful purpose his rightful place his rightful identity and his rightful destiny so um, i hope you guys will come next week for that uh, as we as we continue our way through the book of luke Um, so ask yourself those questions if you didn't write those questions down I pray that you would that you govern those papers, write down those questions to, to, to wrestle with God, like God, what where did I come from? Who am I? What is your purpose for me? What is what is your reason for me to exist? Why did you create me? Because God's got a purpose and a plan for each one of you. And it's a joy to discover it and to live it out. So I encourage you guys to, to find find that out. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray your blessing over our time, blessings over our wrestlings with you, Jesus, as we sit with you and ask you the hard questions. Maybe we've never even asked you questions before. Spend time with you. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our spirits to to curl up into your lap and ask questions, to open up your word and to seek your direction to engage in relationships and communities with other believers in Jesus so that we can talk more about you and ask questions maybe of them that could give uh, tangible answers that will lead us in our spiritual formation, in our faith. We pray for your, your blessing on this time and pray for that redemption in our lives, God, to remind us that you want to redeem our stories by your great story as you bring us along into your story to empower us, Lord Jesus, to live the lives that you have called us to live. Strengthen our faith, Lord Jesus, and all, all these things we pray. Amen.